Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. It was during the Army McCarthy hearings, and uh, one day he came to class with the New York Times, and he held it up and he said, You see these fools? These thieves and fools and liars? Ten years from now, they will be replaced by other thieves and fools and liars, public crooks. He put it down and he picked up a book and read Keats' poem to Autumn. <coughs> and he said, if this language survives a thousand years, this poem will be as beautiful as it is at this moment. I mean, it was, it was, he, he was, he, he was entrancing, he was magnetic. So what you just heard was uh, the poet Philip Levine talking about when he took a, a poetry class with the poet John Berryman. And he was talking about how he really appreciated that Berryman didn't make light of what they were doing. He thought that the creation of poetry and of art was a very wholly important thing to do. And he compared that to some of his other teachers, um, actually teachers like the poet Robert Lowell, who was in the midst of a breakdown at the time, but was also known to be a bit egocentric and um, sort of all over the place, and how he didn't give that impression to his students. He, he didn't give the class um, his, his utmost attention, and the students picked up on that. Whereas John Berryman, as a teacher, was very, very hard on his students, was very critical, um, but it was because of how important he thought the work that they were doing was. And he thought that if they were going to be great poets, that they needed to take hard criticism and they needed to work very hard because what they were doing was timeless. And I love um, thinking in the context of politics and sort of uh, things of the age, um, things that were very important, you know, um, the McCarthy hearings, uh, communism, and, um, you know, all sorts of things going on in the world that are very important objectively. But you look at that next to Keats and um, Ode to Autumn and what matters more. So uh, welcome to this, uh, to this podcast today, Born of Wonder, a podcast where we explore everything and anything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. My name is Katie Marquette, and you can follow along with me at my website, bornofwonder.com. Uh, I also recently reinstated my Instagram, um, Born of Wonder, um, born dot of dot wonder, which you can follow along there. I also sometimes use Twitter. I don't really understand it, but you can find me there too. But I do really like to connect with everybody um, on these different platforms uh, so that you can give me feedback. And on that note, if you're enjoying the podcast, if you like uh, the topics we're talking about and you'd like to hear more, if you could just quickly uh, at the end when you're done listening here, just give it a quick rating and uh, a comment if you could would really appreciate it 
But anyway, without further ado, let's get going on today's podcast, which is going to be all about story and how important stories are to our lives. Just throughout all those social media handles there, um, you think about how on Instagram, uh, we have the story feature. Um, one of the most popular features, ones that keep us sort of hanging on our phones, updating our phones, is uh, the idea of crafting a story out of your day, uh, adding pictures, creating a narrative. And I think that the reason, part of the reason that is so successful is because it's very natural for us to want to create stories, to want to um, create a structure around our lives and to share that with other people. And I think that in a way it can be, uh, you know, don't, don't be on your phone all the time, but that idea of structuring a story of your life can be really empowering. And I think we need to take Philip Levine's advice here um, very seriously, um, what he learned from John Berryman, which is that art and stories are very, very important, and they're much more important than the fleeting news of the day. Um, and again, that is not to diminish the very serious uh, serious issues uh, of today and of every age, but what gives us the conviction and the um, certitude in what we believe is not um, the passing things of um, any given time period, but s eternal things like art, like poetry, like story. And if we don't have a narrative, a cohesive narrative, we're going to simply uh, remain in confusion about, um, about the politics of our day and about the issues that are so important for us to understand. And so I'm going to read uh, uh, an essay I wrote last year, actually, um, after I had seen Greta Gerwig's Little Women about a dozen times, not exaggerating, um, just about how much um, revisiting Joe March, who I hadn't really um, thought about much since I was since I was a child, and revisiting her, rereading Little Women, and just being immersed back in this world, how Joe March really inspired me to look at my own life as a story and how important that is uh, for all of us to do. So I'm just going to read through this essay here and um, hopefully it will inspire you and I will um, put some links, uh, put the link to, to this essay in the show notes so you can find it online. Um, and then we're going to just discuss a little bit more about why art and story are just so important and uh, why we need to defend them, and if we're going to lead a cohesive, coherent, meaningful life, we need to be very conscious of the story we are telling others and ourselves about the life that we are living. Joe is teaching me that life is a story, life is art, that whether you like it or not, you're living out a story. In that story, you have choices to make. You are not a passive supporting character. As Nora Ephron said, be the heroine of your own life, not the victim. I've also been thinking of that line from Breakfast at Tiffany's when Paul Varjak says to Holly Golightly, You know what's wrong with you, Miss Whoever You Are? You're chicken. You've got no guts. You're afraid to stick out your chin and say, okay, life's a fact. People do fall in love. People do belong to each other. Because that's the only chance anybody's got for real happiness. People do belong to each other. We don't live our stories in a vacuum. We're surrounded by a cast of characters, family and friends, co-workers and acquaintances. They each have a role to play in our story, and we have a role to play in theirs. 
but we have to own the story. We have to live it out. Seeing life as art redeems life and elevates art. In Little Women, Amy is right to insist that all things can be made meaningful through art. All of life, the minutia, the sadness, the joys, the quiet moments, the big moments, they are all meaningful. Turning a seemingly insignificant afternoon at work into a beautiful painting or a song or a poem or even just a journal entry restores that moment to lasting significance. It's been incarnated into being, and our role as sub-creator, to use Tolkien's word, has been fulfilled. The drama, the narrative, the plot of our stories depends on our choices. Our choices are never isolated. They affect every single human being on this planet. They affect the motions of the stars. They are the content of history, the drama of good and evil that is being played out across the centuries on the stage of the world. Think of the butterfly effect. The every man for himself motto of modern life doesn't hold up, at least not in a good and lasting story. Life's a fact, people belong to each other. You are participating in the narrative. You can't exempt yourself. You are a living, breathing, fighting, thinking, feeling character in the novel of your life. But here's the thing. You are not the author. You've been given a particular story to live out. You are surrounded by a specific cast of characters, and yes, you have a role to play. The drama of your life and mine is to rise to the occasion. Discover the roles that are ours and ours alone. Each one of us is the hero of our own drama, so don't worry if your novel looks different than another person's. To borrow an image from C.S. Lewis, who would want to listen to an orchestra made up of only the brass section? We also need the delicate winds, the triumphant drums, the stirring strings. Every single instrument is essential. Otherwise, we would never have a symphony. Maybe after leaving the theater or finishing an excellent novel, the realness of real life seems harsh. There are no stirring montages, no swelling musical scores. But is that true? My husband pointed out that in Little Women, much of the music we hear is music that is also being heard by the characters in real time. The musicians at the ball, Beth playing the piano. I bet if you start listening for it, you'll find you have a very real soundtrack playing in your life. Maybe it's the music you play yourself, or the music you play on the radio, or the wind howling at the door or the sound of your friends laughing, or the choir at church, or your dogs barking, or your children playing. When we become aware of life as art, everything becomes significant and beautiful. The important thing here is to tell the right story to yourself, your story. One morning I looked outside. It was gray and windy and the fields were muddy and wet. It reminded me of a Nat Geo documentary I watched over and over again when I was little, Ballad of the Irish Horse. I was so taken up by the images of open green fields of rough and dangerous looking skies. I loved the young boy they featured. He lived on his family's farm and spent his days jumping Connemara ponies. There was something in this story, something cohesive and beautiful and romantic. And I thought of that young girl watching and re-watching that documentary, filled with longing. And then I realized that I have pursued and found so much of what I hoped for as a little girl. Open land, animals, books, a wonderful home with my husband. I could create that sense of joyful longing here in real life. Live that story, I thought. It's a good story. 
In his novel The Unbearable Lightness of Being, Milan Kundera writes about motifs, how we all, like in a symphony, have recurring motifs in our lives, phrases, dreams, books, stories that come up over and over. Identify those motifs. They are the underlying chords, but you can still write the melody. Joe March is teaching me to never shun inspiration, to be unashamed to scribble a random thought, to bring it into being boldly and confidently. She is teaching me that life is charged with meaning, but that we are most aware of that meaning when we are active participants in the narrative. The truest, most beautiful stories are happening right here, right now, wherever you find yourself. If there's a part of your story that's not going the way you hoped, realize the choices you've made and can still make. Maybe there is something you need to endure. Maybe this is part of the novel, the catastrophe, to use Tolkien's term again, the good catastrophe, where you need to live through some darkness to appreciate the brilliance of the light. What kind of hero or heroine do you want to be? What kind of character are you in the face of adversity? What do you believe in? What do you fight for? What story are you telling yourself and those around you? I think it can be a good idea to write a few opening sentences, fictionalized as much as you like, about your life and the story you're living. Think of the first line of The Hobbit. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. It can be that simple. Write a few sentences about yourself. Katie lived in a glass house that was very warm. There were piles of books, three fireplaces, two black dogs, and one gray cat inside that house. Outside in the barn there were two opinionated donkeys and two kind-hearted horses. She loved the land but had no natural gift for cultivation, so the gardens were always overrun during the summer. For this reason, she loved the winters best, when she could hide inside on a Saturday afternoon and bury her head in books guilt-free. I just wrote that off the top of my head, and already I'm seeing my life with a new appreciation. It's become a drama, a story. Remember, Joe March both was and wasn't Louisa May Alcott. She was the conduit for all her hopes and dreams, the version of herself she'd most like to be. You can create that character for yourself. Look to her for inspiration when you need, and remember that she lives inside you. She is real and good and brave. She is writing the story of your life. So I hope you enjoyed enjoyed that essay there. Um, I entitled it Living the Story of Your Life, and I really believe in everything I said. Obviously, some things in my life are different now, and I hope you also enjoyed some of that audio of, uh, of Little Joe. Um, yes, the name is not a mistake. Uh, the, this essay is about Joe March, and my daughter's named Joe. Uh, Little Joe singing along to the piano there. Um, she is the soundtrack of my life now. Um, it's not always that musical, but <laughs> um, I, I even believe in this even more now that uh now that I have a baby um and that I'm telling a story about myself as a mother and sort of figuring that out and also the story I want to tell her about her life and the meaning that she has just inherently just by being alive and being a human person in this world that she she has a story to discover uh about her own life and the character she's going to play in this drama of the universe and um that might sound pretty dramatic but I think it's true I think it's true for every single person and I think that art is the only way we can really understand that and to really bring that message home I've been mulling over a speech of um 
Puddle Glum, <laughs> uh, which is who is a character in uh, C.S. Lewis's *The Silver Chair*, a book in the Narnia series. So at this point in the in the series, um, the children are are trapped underneath the ground. This evil witch has kept them there and is now trying to convince them that there is no such thing as um, as the above world. That that this is all an illusion. That they've made this up. That the idea of Aslan and uh, this beautiful world above the surface doesn't exist. And they start to believe her. Um, and uh, Puddleglum, uh, just a really charming character. He's sort of like this frog-like guy. He's really, really funny and wonderful. And he makes one of the best Narnian speeches, which goes as follows. He says, all you've been saying is quite right. I shouldn't wonder. I'm a chap who always liked to know the worst and then put the best face I can on it. So I won't deny any of what you said, but there's one more thing to be said, even so. Suppose we have only dreamed or made up all those things, trees and grass and sun and moon and stars and Aslan himself. Suppose we have. Then all I can say is that in that case, the made up things seem a good deal more important than the real ones. Suppose this black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world. Well, it strikes me as a pretty poor one. And that's a funny thing when you come to think of it. We're just babies making up a game if you're right. But four babies playing a game can make a play world which licks your real world hollow. That's why I'm going to stand by the play world. I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan to lead it. I'm going to live as like a Narnian as I can, even if there isn't any Narnia. So thanking you kindly for our supper, if these two gentlemen and the young lady are ready, we're leaving our, your court at once and setting out in the dark to spend our lives looking for overland. Not that our lives will be very long, I should think, but that's a small loss if the world's as dull a place as you say. Great, excellent speech there from Puddleglum. Um, just, I love that. I'm going to live as like a Narnian as I can, even if there isn't any Narnia. I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan to lead it. And I think this is what a lot of people um, who don't really understand art or its purpose, um, what they don't understand is that things that we imagine um, are real. <laughs> they are real, and they're real in the most um, fundamental way. Uh, they, they create meaning for our life. Um, another uh, a famous quote here from Tolkien that you probably know, um, he says that I have claimed that escape is one of the main functions of fairy stories, and since I do not approve of them, it is plain that I do not accept the tone of scorn or pity with which escape is now so often used. Why should a man be scorned if finding himself in prison he tries to get out and go home? Or if he cannot do so, he thinks and talks about other topics than jailers and prison walls. I feel like this gift of imagination that we have to create beautiful things, to imagine beautiful things, to believe in things is a gift. And I don't know why we wouldn't use that, why we wouldn't tell a really good story and believe in a really good story um, for ourselves. Um, just a few more quotes here to round out. Um, E.F. Schumacher, excellent, have to recommend his book, Small is Beautiful, Economics as If People Mattered. Um, this is a quote from that book. He says, what do I miss as a human being if I have never heard of the second law of thermodynamics? The answer is nothing. And what do I miss by not knowing Shakespeare? Unless I get my understanding from another source, I simply miss my life. Shall we tell our children that one thing is as good as another? Here's a bit of knowledge of physics and there a bit of knowledge of literature. If we do so, the sins of the fathers will be visited upon the children unto the third and fourth generation, because that normally is the time it takes from the birth of an idea to its full maturity, when it fills the minds of a new generation and makes them think by it. Science cannot produce ideas by which we could live. So all you fellow liberal arts majors, you can take that quote and uh, 
when you're having a hard time looking for a job, hold on to that. Science cannot produce ideas by which we could live. Stories help us live. Good stories help us live. Good art helps us live. If you think about how people spend their free time, um, if they are watching Netflix, they're watching a movie, they're reading a book, stories, that's that's what they need. They need, they need a good story to get through the day. Uh, Nietzsche said, without music, life would be a mistake. Um, Nora Ephron, reading is escape and the opposite of escape. It's a way to make contact with reality after a day of making things up. And it's a way of making contact with someone else's imagination after a day that's all too real. Carrie Fisher, I don't want life to imitate art. I want life to be art. So I'm just, I'm feeling really on fire here about the idea that um, our lives are really, really our stories and that we need to defend those and that if we're going to make a difference in the world we have to first understand our role as a creator as a character as a hero heroine of our own story so I hope this was inspiring for you um I uh it it sort of inspired me um thanks to my husband for recommending that um that Philip Levine uh really got me thinking on this subject not to mention just every day when I look at the news and am feeling depressed about things and feeling um sort of adrift in uh the politics of the day of the issues of the day that are not about the eternal that are not going to be around in a thousand years that are not going to be beautiful in a thousand years um to hold on to eternal things and beautiful things and um just to round out, just to end, I'm going to read Keats' Ode to Autumn, um, and uh, I'll I'll do um, I'll have some music here from um, Max Richter's Vivaldi recomposed. I'll do um, I'll have the background music be his his uh, retake on Fall on Vivaldi's Fall. So I'll put a link um, to the full to the full Ode to Autumn uh, in the show notes, but I'll just read the last stanza here. Um, where are the songs of spring? I where are they? Think not of them, thou hast thy music too. While barred clouds bloom the soft dying day and touch the stubble plains with rosy hue. Then in a wailful choir the small gnats mourn among the river sallows borne aloft, or sinking as the light wind lives or dies, and full-grown lambs loud bleat from hilly bjorn. Hedge crickets sing, and now with treble soft the red breast whistles from a garden croft and gathering swallows twitter in the skies.
And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. <laughs>